Attention please, would Logan Air passengers please proceed to the aircraft? Fly with me, oh won't you fly with me, we'll fly off to the island, and then watch the setting sun. Hello, I'm John Ellis and welcome to Logan Air's Flight Log, where I get to go behind the scenes of the UK's largest regional airline to find answers for your questions and discover exactly what it takes to keep Logan Air in the air and put all that on the air. This time out, I'm joined by Ronan Milne, Head of Training at Logan Air. Tell us a bit about yourself, Ronan, what do you do? Hi, John. Uh, well, I'm the Head of Training at Logan Air, so uh, my responsibility is to look after the initial and the recurrent training for approximately 300 pilots now and 150 cabin crew. Wow. Okay. So when you say um, the training and recurrent training, what does that involve exactly? When somebody joins the company, they, they go through a kind of barrage of uh, initial training to get them up to the standard that, uh, that, that we require at Logan Air before they're released to, uh, to fly the line and fly with our passengers. And uh, on top of that, they have a very uh, dense program of recurrent training, which is basically continuing training throughout their career. We have a, a range of about 12 or 14 different ground subjects that the uh, pilots and cabin crew go through on a yearly basis. They're trained and then tested in those elements. And then on top of that, they carry out a range of other additional checks. So they go through what we call a line check. So they're uh, assessed and uh, debriefed on their their ability to just do their day job essentially and that happens uh, sometimes every six months uh, when somebody first joins and then uh, after they settle into it every year and then the pilots on top of that do even more training so they go out to one of our full flight simulators and uh, do a two-day assessment in the simulator every six months they do that in fact so the pilots in particular go through a very rigorous regime of continuing assessment and continuing training to uh, to develop their skill set and ensure that uh, that if any of their skills do fade we get them back up to the standard that they need to be uh, uh, as quickly as we possibly can forgive me when when i ask this question when you say there are 300 pilots and 150 cabin crew and you're responsible for training uh, is the is the training a one to one thing? It can't be. There must be some sort of class situations as well, is there? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, there's. Uh, first of all, I'm not solely responsible. I have a, a very dedicated team that I uh, that I work with uh, in uh, headquarters here in Glasgow. I have uh, a team of three full time members of staff that work tirelessly uh, on the administrative side of it, and then on top of that, I have about uh, fifty five or sixty different pilot and cabin crew trainers whose ah. main job essentially is a is a member of flight crew so they're a pilot or a cabin crew member uh, that fly on a day-to-day -day basis but they also do training and, and checking uh, responsibilities as well so they're really the guys that go out and do the uh, the hard work and I'm just the one that uh, that sits there and reads the reports and makes sure that uh, that everything uh, you know fits the bill you're the headmaster and you delegate uh, I get it I get it <laughs> delegation um, is the uh, the name of the game <laughs> what's your own background I've been at Logan Air for 20 years now, in fact, just wow. uh, just last week. And oh, uh, before that, uh, thank you very much. Yeah. Before that, I was actually a baker. So my whole, my entire family are uh, uh, in the baking industry for the last uh, five generations, uh, since 1919, in fact. And uh, I uh, was the, the black sheep of the family, I guess, because my, both my parents <laughs> were in the business. And, uh, and now all my, my older brother and both my younger oh, wow. sisters are in the family business as well. So I've, I've uh, fled the nest. 
have to ask, do they resent you for leaving the family business or are they okay with it? <laughs> I'm not sure. They, 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 uh, they tend to say that I'm, uh, uh, that I'm the favorite, but I, but I, I'm not entirely sure why I'm, why I'm the parents favorite when uh, I was the one that uh, got uh, kicked out and the rest of them all worked together on a daily basis. Well, that's, but, that's uh, maybe, maybe why you were literally allowed <laughs> to fly the nest and, and go into aviation. When did that start then? Certainly, we have very different uh, jobs now, that, uh, all of us. And they, they uh, uh, you know, in a family business, they they put some some absolutely horrendous hours in. And yeah. uh, and I I generally don't really like night shifts. That's uh, starting in the middle of the morning and, and working early starts <laughs> and not uh, not something that, that uh, work for me particularly. So right. the, uh, the fact that they get to, um, they have to do that almost every single day, I, I couldn't do. The odd early shift is fine, but uh, I like the uh, the mix and the breadth that I do here. Okay. So it's not always a three o'clock in the morning start at Logan Air, thankfully. And, and do, they, do they still invite you around for Christmas? Or are you... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we were just making plans for this Christmas actually. Oh, so yeah, yeah, we're, 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 all, we're all on excellent terms i think probably because i uh i work about 60 miles away but okay. uh, <laughs> well, I, I, I don't want a sob story coming through in this podcast that would be horrific <laughs> um you, you got into flying though so you, you were with the family business but you got into flying I understand when you're about 16 yeah so i was about uh in fact i was uh i just turned 16 and uh my father got me a trial flying lesson a 30 minute flying lesson at wow. dundee airport cool. and uh, I, I went off and i did that and had uh, just a fantastic 30 minutes flying around Dundee and over Fife and seeing where I lived. And it was just the most magical experience. It pretty much changed the trajectory of what I'd been planning to do at that point. And, you know, at a reasonably young age, I didn't have a, a very fixed idea of what I wanted to do. But but from that moment on, I had a, had a pretty good idea. And uh, from there on, it just took on uh, a whole new kind of... Uh, well, what should I say? From there on, it basically, uh, you know, turned into uh, an, a passion, essentially, for me. So uh, I, uh, at that point, decided I was going to get my private pilot's license. So I started training for that when I was uh, 16 and then uh, uh, for about a year until I was 17. And then at that stage, I was leaving school and had uh, basically decided that at that point on that I wanted to be a be an airline pilot. So I... Uh, uh, started doing all the training and uh, set off essentially to go and do my uh, commercial pilot's license, which is a, which is a huge undertaking. I hadn't appreciated at that age quite the undertaking it was, but uh, extremely glad that I did it now. When you say um, set off to do that, was that here or did you have to go somewhere else for that? There was a range of places. Essentially, I did my private pilot's license at Dundee and then uh, decided that the best place to go and do my commercial pilot's license was at a, uh, a flying school down in the south of Spain. So uh, when I was 17, just wow. uh, 17 and a half, 17, three quarters, I uh, uh, moved off, packed my bags, moved off to the south of Spain and was down there for about a year and a half in the end uh, training and, and essentially came back to Scotland in uh, 2001 with my a commercial pilot's license and ready to be uh, uh, ready to be employed but that was unfortunately in October 2001 uh, and many of you will probably remember that in September 2001 there was a, a terrorist attack that uh, resulted in a lot of, yeah. Uh, yeah yeah a lot of airlines uh, uh, well global recession uh, and uh, airlines not uh, not avoiding that uh, unfortunately stopped recruiting so i was back in the bakery for uh, for about a year uh, making 
uh, donuts and scotch pies and all that uh, lovely stuff with uh, your commercial whilst, uh, pilot's license yeah. with, with a commercial yeah probably the most uh, overqualified uh, donut <laughs> fryer uh, in the world potentially but uh, uh, it was great it was it was great fun to have a little bit of a break and uh, uh, kind of um, regroup uh, yeah. And I was sending out, furiously sending out applications to every single airline. I've I've still got an envelope at home, actually, with about fifty or sixty rejection letters from uh, from airlines that uh, that had that had uh, sent letters to me to say we're we're not uh, unfortunately we're not looking for pilots at the moment. You eventually got into Logan Air, then. What was the appeal there? That was back in two thousand and three, and I they hadn't recruited. I don't think since two thousand and one. Certainly, they hadn't recruited pilots, and uh, I had been firing uh, firing applications out to to every single airline in the hope that I would uh, you know attract some interest and uh, Logan Air was one of the first uh, to invite me invite me to interview so uh, I came came here to Glasgow not very far from where I'm sitting just now and uh, I did my interview a very nervous 20 uh, year old being interviewed for his uh, first airline job and uh, uh, managed to uh, impressed them enough for them to offer me a job, so I started uh, as a first officer back in September, uh, September two thousand and three, uh, and yeah, the the rest, as they say, is history. Did you did you think you'd be there for twenty years? <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. It was uh, yeah, certainly if you'd asked me back then, I didn't really have a a, a, a defined plan in my head, but I had a kind of idea of the uh, uh, of the options or the trajectory that it would take. I didn't expect. Uh, that that Logan Air would be able to offer me what it did uh, when I first joined, but I have to say, uh, every single uh, turning point, uh, Logan Air has just been such a fantastic provider of interesting and you know rich experiences, and that is really the thing that uh, that keeps me here. To be honest, is the just the wide and varied breadth of of things that we do on an almost daily basis. Here's an uh, an interesting um, question, and I, I mentioned it because you brought up um, the Baker thing, and that your family had done this for generations. So y- you come from a family business. How does that compare to to being around Loganair? Because I get the feeling Loganair has a, a very much family vibe as well. Is it similar? Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's probably one of the draws, to be honest. Although I've never really thought about it until now, but uh, it's. Uh, yeah, it's probably that family atmosphere that reminds me of uh, working from, you know, from the age of 10, I worked in the bakery during summer holidays and stuff. And, you know, and you would walk through any door in the building and you would know the person. And it's uh, it's very similar here at Logan Air, even, even, you know, phoning up our operations control. I can just say, hello, it's Ronan. And they know they know who it is. And they're not uh, uh, they're not asking you for your staff number or something like that, that you hear very absolutely uh, uh, most of the majority of my friends that also fly for, for other airlines. You know, that's the first thing they have to do is read off their five digit staff number so <laughs> that uh, the person knows who they're, sp- they're speaking to, you know. So it's uh, it's definitely has a family atmosphere. And that's without a doubt one of the big draws for me at, uh, at Logan Air. You know, karma is going to come full circle when one of the pilots that you've trained says, actually, you know what, I want to go off and become a baker. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when when did you, you make the switch from, from flying to training and why? Well, I mean, it's a bit of a gradual process, actually. I mean, I, I spent a, a relatively short period of time as a first officer and a senior first officer, got my command, and then been a captain for maybe five years, uh, five or six years, I, I got the opportunity to become a line training captain, uh, which is kind of the first rung on the ladder in the in the kind of training sense in aviation. And that's uh, training 
uh, new pilots who've just joined and gone through all of their initial training. It's the very last phase of the training that they do, uh, which is flying flights with passengers on and, and just having somebody there you know, holding their hand essentially. Mm. And I did that for, for about five or six years and then basically slowly worked myself up, got into instruction for, for the initial training and then became an examiner for, for our recurrent training and then our initial training as well. And, uh, and then the, the kind of the last training step really is, is, is the big head honchos job. And that, that came up about five and a half years ago. Uh, and I was asked, you know, if I was interested and I had a long think about it and, well, I'm still here five and a half years later, so <laughs> there must be something drawing me in. What is the most rewarding aspect of the job, do you think? There's a lot of elements, to be honest. I think probably looking at people's faces once they've done something for the first time that they that they didn't think that they could do beforehand, I think. And that's a long road to get people to that point. Before somebody even joins Logan Air, they've done probably you know, a, at least a year and a half if not two or three years of training to get to that point. And then they go through very rigorous training at Logan Air to, to get to the point where they're just released uh, as a regular line pilot. And quite often they join and they're a bit like a rabbit in the headlights. You know, there's a huge amount of work that they need to do. And we just take it step by step. We work through it. It is complex. It is difficult. It is complicated. But we, we break it down into small steps and, you know, place goals you know, evenly across uh, along the path, and they slowly pick up all of these little goals uh, and realize that they're they're piecing it together and they can do it. And when you sign somebody off on their first ever line check and release them on their way to to just go and fly the line unsupervised, uh, with no trainer sat there watching over their shoulder, that smile when you can say congratulations, you passed your line check, you can shake their hand and uh, look at look at them in the eye and see that that big beaming smile. That's really the the kind of nitty gritty that's 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 what i like the most and tell me about the challenges of the job there's a lot of challenges to be honest there's uh it, it the, it's probably the 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 best bit of the job and the hardest bit of the job <laughs> uh we we have um we have a lot of really complex parts of the business that need a lot of extra attention and detail that uh, a lot of other airlines don't necessarily need to pay attention to and we have things like uh, beach landings at Barra and uh, landing on a, a, a the steep approach uh, at London City Airport and uh, landing on runway 33 and 15 at Sumbra Airport is a particularly uh, kind of complex approach as well. And uh, that, to be honest, is is the most challenging part. Uh, a lot of that requires additional approvals from the Civil, Civil Aviation Authority. Uh, it requires the pilots to have particular experience it requires them to have additional training initial training and then recurrent training on top of that and uh, all of those kind of extra elements just make it it's more of a difficult uh, achievement to get to but once once you achieve it it's uh, you know the feeling of the satisfaction and the achievement is huge so that's that's probably the best part of it i would suggest and the, and the most challenging part of it i'm sitting here and i'm thinking i'm trying to tot up all the 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 air miles you like all the years of learning from um just your 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 basic i'm going to learn how to become a pilot through to the point where you can you can do all that stuff that you were talking about the uh, runway 33 in shetland or uh barra beach um so you've had not only the initial training but you've been all the way through the logan air training and you you know you've, you've been sort of marked ready to fly all these routes 
from start to finish, how long are we talking in terms of years and months and days? <laughs> well, first of all, I wish I got air miles. Uh, that that would be fantastic. Uh, if, you, if you could sort us out, John, that'd be fantastic. <laughs> Don't think my influence extends that far. <laughs> Pilots will generally uh, we log hours. That's the kind of the 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 main thing that we uh, put in our logbooks essentially, and we we track that. And there's a few kind of milestones. So a private pilot might have uh, 40 or 50 hours before they they're allowed to uh, be released. A commercial pilot somewhere in the region of 200 to 250 hours. Our captains at Logan Air need somewhere between 1,500 and 2,000 hours of flying experience before they're allowed to uh, be released to line as a line as a captain. So it really depends as a, as a first officer or a co-pilot. Generally, you know, they might have somewhere in the region of 200, 250 hours when they're, when they're experiencing their first uh, landings in these places. Places like Runway 33 at Sumbra, uh, we have additional restrictions in place so that so that very inexperienced people aren't aren't allowed to uh, to fly those approaches. London City, for example, you need all that additional training. But on top of all of that, it's a captain's only landing, so the first officers only get to watch and uh, and monitor uh, what the captain's doing. But it'll always be the captain that uh, that uh, lands at London City just because of the complexity of it, and we need to make sure that it's our most uh, skilled and most experienced people. Uh, doing the job. Not the uniqueness of Logan, you think that no two days are the same for a pilot? It's uh, it, just with a varied uh, selection of things that we do, every single day is completely different. Uh, it was uh, towards the end of last year, I landed on Romy 33 at Sumbra, and about three hours later, I was landing at London City Airport. Uh, and it's, you, you know, you just such a breadth of just, uh, you know, requirements and experience and knowledge uh, but also a complete breadth of the country so mm. it's uh, and extremes you know, from, yeah yeah to- total extremes and and i have to say it was a rare case where the weather was actually nicer in in shetland uh, than it was down in london so that that was quite nice mm-hmm. to be honest it's, it's always good i have to ask this as well and it's a tiny question in, in the bigger scheme of things but you're the person to ask and i might never get another chance when I'm seated on an aircraft as a passenger and the captain's voice booms out of the speaker pre-flight, regardless of whether that voice is male or female, there's always a, a, a quality or a, a feel about it. They speak in only a way the captain of a plane does with that calmness and assuredness that lets you know if there was an escort of a dragon either side of the flight, this captain's not <laughs> going to bat an eyelid. That pilot voice, that, that must be trained, is it? And for, for that purpose, to keep people calm. Uh, you know, it's one of those rare parts of uh being a pilot that that rel- that generally comes naturally really and, uh, and, and I, no i mean we do a, we maybe do a small amount of training in it but it's, it's one of those areas that to be honest is uh is just assumed uh, i mean obviously during during line training uh, of a pilot we do assess that and train it but generally there's very little input required uh, and that's because most most pilots know that they you know they need to be in control and they need to be able to get people's trust and and people's re, you know be able to reassure people uh, yeah. and the best way to do that is to make sure that you you have a slow and calm and controlled voice so that's Remain generally calm, yeah. generally what people do and as a as I'm doing right now sat with a microphone uh, three and three uh, three centimeters from my face it's very similar on an air on an aircraft you know generally they're quite noisy environments and you have to have a microphone mm. very close. So mm-hmm. you, you don't need to shout. You can generally kind of keep a nice, relaxed, uh, relaxed, calm voice. 
but, yes, but interesting, actually. One, one of the things we do at Logan Air uh, a lot, actually, is uh, if there are any kind of um, uh, unforeseen and unfortunate delays for generally for weather, then the, one of the things we do is encourage our, our uh, pilots to go out and talk to the people face to face. So okay. talk to the passengers face to face. So we'll uh, we'll go out into the cabin and actually uh, speak with the passengers, looking at looking them in the eye so that they can understand and ask questions. And uh, and if they're not on the aircraft, then then I head out into the terminal building and I try and corral them around the gate and, and explain, you know, the reason for the delay and that uh, more often than not, the pilots and the cabin crew want to get home as well. So we, we're not, yeah, sure. uh, delay, delays are not something that we like either. So, uh, you know, we, we, only, uh, we only do it if we have to. Uh, on safety related grounds so um it's uh, it's i find it really works and that's probably something that uh, in fact something that you very very occasionally see other airlines doing and it quite often makes tiktok or uh, uh you know instagram you see pilots going out and speaking to the passengers mm. from the front of the cabin but that at logan air is something that we try and do as standard yeah it makes it makes all the difference what what does success look like for you at logan air now then well that's a really interesting one because probably the answer is that nothing noticeable happens. <laughs> In other words, nothing goes wrong. Yeah, yeah, that's that's probably it. Really, if I've done my job properly, then everything just goes to plan and nobody notices and everybody just thinks that all this stuff just happens naturally and that, that it's, uh, you know, not unbelievably complex and it's very, very simple. Uh, so that's probably my measure of success is just everything going to plan. There are no ripples. Um, how, how does um, how does Logan Air evolve and develop its training offering? Because I'm thinking in something like aviation, I mean, I, I don't know how often it changes, but th- there will be developments both technologically and the way that people pass through airports and all that sort of thing. How, how do you evolve your training and develop it over the, the, the period of time? Well, I mean, a lot of the training is regulatory. Uh, so it's, it's mandated by law that we do it. Uh, and that that generally changes very little or if it does it's very very slow cumbersome it needs to go through as you can imagine a very kind of uh, uh, long-winded process to make sure that uh, you know duff regulations not written and then there's some elements that are that are less regulated and those allow us to be a bit freer and a bit more kind of dynamic with uh, with what we do and one of the interesting things that we've done recently actually is um uh, we've built an emergency exit training rig Okay. which is something that we've we've never had at Logan Air before. Uh, and it's sitting about uh, 20 feet from me just now. And it's basically a, a, a complete section of fuselage of a of one of our ATR aircraft with the emergency exit uh, in the uh, in the in the side. And it allows us to train pilots and cabin crew in a very controlled environment. And previously on on previous aircraft, we would just do it on the aircraft during a turnaround or uh, at the end of a duty or at the beginning of a duty. And uh, that that worked for many years, but we've got a little bit bigger now. And uh, that works. Uh, The kind of coordination between our engineering teams and our operations teams to make sure the aircraft are available to fly our passengers to where they want to go means that that's a lot more difficult to achieve. So, we uh, this year invested in that bit of equipment and uh, it seems to be uh, taking off, if I can uh, use that phrase. <laughs> you use that it's, analogy, uh, yeah. It, it's something, something that, uh, to, to the point where we've actually ordered a second one now because it's been so success- successful. So we'll have one here in Glasgow and we'll have another one up, up in Aberdeen for our uh, uh, pilots and cabin crew to use. And, and every single, uh, every time they have recurrent training, they come down and they actually demonstrate 
physically opening the exit and and talk through the the process and this the operating procedures that we have for it so and allows them to to actually uh, physically do these things that uh, that generally they only talk to the passengers about doing so it's uh, good just to keep them in practice just one other thing uh, one, one final question um and this is anecdotal more than anything but in in my observations when i've been flying with logan air uh, it's on that airline that I would notice a female voice coming from from uh, the, the cockpit more than than any other airline. D- does that actually bear out? Is that you know? Do you have a lot of female pilots? I think we have some somewhere in the region of thirteen percent. The last time uh, the last time it was all counted up, I think, which is uh, well, it's quite low, isn't it? Really, in the gr- in the grand scheme of things, it sounds very low, thirteen percent. But well, it actually, depends how compared ind- to the industry. In, in, the, in well, this is it absolutely. The the industry average is. Uh, is about five percent, oh, right, okay. I believe. So, so we uh, actually at Logan Air have uh, it's certainly the highest percentage of female pilots in the UK, and I think maybe even the even Europe. And uh, you know, we must be fairly up there in the world, which is uh, which is a a great testament. We've got a long way to go, obviously, to get to the point where where it should be. But uh, I'm pleased to say that we're at the forefront rather than lagging behind in that respect. Ronan, thanks for joining us. I'm John Mellis. That was another episode of Logan Air's Flight Log, where we take the big issues of being in the air and put them on air. If you want to listen to more episodes, you'll find us on Apple, Spotify, or whatever you usually listen, right here, and on Logan Air's own webpage. Remember, if you enjoyed Flight Log, please rate and recommend us, and please follow us if you have that option. That way, Flight Log will touch down with you whenever we publish a new episode. We'll see you next time, and thanks for listening. So we're home.